to be under your mission to save us, to deliver us, to free us from anything and everything that leads to independence of you, God, anything that leads from fatherlessness, anything that leads us into self-reliance or self-sufficiency. We just pray for healing in our hearts and in our minds and our souls tonight. We pray, Lord, for deliverance, for grace. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts with the fire of divine love. And Mary, you crush the head of the serpent, the special uh, gift of your uh, motherhood to give us Christ. Please teach us, Mary, how to receive God and give God. And we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou, women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God. So I'd like to just start with a, a quote that I read, um, and it said, I'm not sure the author of the quote, but I won't take credit, right? Humility. The opposite of pride. So some never get started on their destiny because they cannot humble themselves to leave, to learn, grow, and change. So some never get started basically in their destiny of life, in, in their spiritual journey. Uh, if true Christianity, that means I'm being led by, guided by, I'm being taught, instructed by the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the, the gift of the paraclete. This is why Jesus came, is to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit so we can be led through life, not running ahead of God, but letting God lead us as the good shepherd. Like a good, sheep, good shepherd leads the sheep to the green pastures. And so the enemy, Satan, the father of lies, will do what? <laughs> he will lead us not to green pastures. He'll lead us to destruction. He'll lead us to death. He'll lead us to misery. Okay? And misery loves company. That's why the devil, it says, death entered the world through the envy of the devil. What does that mean? It means... The envy of the devil. The devil envies what we have. He doesn't have it. He lost it by his own free choice. And he knew what he was doing. That's why his, uh, his uh, judgment was so severe. Because the angels aren't like us. We often, as Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. If we understood really what we were doing when we would sin, we wouldn't do it. There's no way we could do it. Because we would see the, the evil and the destruction that it would bring upon us and others. So, the Lord wants us to be led by Him. So, I want you to keep that theme in mind throughout the night. Say, Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. You know, that's our Right? We need to be led by the Lord. So, some never get started on their destiny because they cannot humble themselves to learn. That means there's a teacher. If you're learning, there's a teacher. Grow means you're not yet there. You're still in the process of becoming who God created us to be. And changing, which would mean you're willing to give up your way and choose another way. Which, at the heart of the word repentance is to turn away from one way to another. That's what repentance. Repent and believe in the gospel. At the beginning of Lent, we heard that. One of the ways the priest or the deacon
feet and whoever put the ashes on your forehead with the sign of the cross is, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. That's humility. I didn't start my life and God will decide when it ends. And another thing is repent and believe in the gospel. I mean, turn away from your own ideas and turn to the gospel, the life-giving word of God. So pride is always going to lead to some level of disobedience, which leads to death, and that will ultimately end in hell. So pride, disobedience, death, hell. Okay? The opposite, humility, right? Humility leads what? Obedience. A humble person is led. They're obedient. The word obedience comes from the word obadire. I think adhering means to hear, to listen. So to hear, to listen. Obedire. To be obedient is to hear and be led. Okay? So humility acknowledges, I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost. I need help. Ask for directions. Okay? I stop and ask for directions. Or do I just keep driving in circles around the city? You know, we've all experienced that, right? It's, oh, I know where this is at. I know where it's at. My, my mom and dad are actually here tonight. One of the things when I went to Rome, um, I would say, oh, I know where I'm going. And then an hour later, you like, you really know where you're going? <laughs> <laughs> so we were walking through the streets, and their feet are hurting. Hey, I don't know where I'm going. So I see, I didn't know I was going very well. So you need to stop and ask for instructions, okay? So humility is always leads to obedience. That's going to lead to life. It's going to lead to life. Okay? And ultimately heaven. So you have these two contrary kingdom, kingdoms. The two kingdoms. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Okay? By, by no means is God and the devil at any way on the same level. It's just a way of looking at the two kingdoms. Which camp am I in? Am I in the enemy's camp or am I in God's camp? Am I living in God's kingdom or am I living in the enemy's kingdom? Okay, so pride, disobedience, death, hell. Humility, obedience, life, heaven. Okay, keep those in mind um, as we go through this evening. Okay, so pride is the beginning of all sin. It's the beginning of all sin, okay? All sin begins with pride. And one of the things... Uh, that I'd like to read to you. It says, "Pride is rooted in the fear of the fear of submitting my will to another. The fear that is underneath pride is the fear of submitting my will to another. Okay, for us, ultimately, hopefully, God, the divine authority of God. But even children with their parents, rebellion, right? Fear of submitting one's will, or it could be a, a spousal thing." you need to submit to your spouse in particular manner, okay? It's a fear of depending on someone else who might know better than I or know more than I. Pride's rooted in a fear of submitting my will to God because I'm going to go into that fearful atmosphere of whatever I don't know. So I don't know. Can we all admit that? If we can't admit I don't know, we have no need for Jesus, because that means we know everything. And one of the things, pride we're going to talk about is pride of the intellect. Or, why would I go to a teaching tonight, you know? Um, I don't need to learn anything. I think I got it. I'm not aware of my total desperate need to be 
led by God. Okay? So this beautiful gift um, of counsel, we'll eventually get to that. Counsel is the gift of the Holy Spirit tonight that's going to come against um, the sin of pride. And if you think about it, why? Because who's counseling us? The Holy Spirit, the counselor. So if I'm being led by the Holy Spirit, I'm not living in pride. I'm actually being like a little child. This is why Jesus, remember, he pulled the little kid aside and he says, his apostles were like, please, please, step aside, children. Please step aside. We, we, Jesus is very important. He has a big, busy schedule and a big day. Please step aside, kids. We don't have time to be crawling on Jesus. And Jesus rebuked the apostles and said, no, no, no. He told the apostles, no, for such belongs the kingdom of God. So we must, as he says, unless we become like children, we can't enter the kingdom of God. So think of the ultimate trait or quality or characteristic that is exemplified in a child's personhood or heart or soul. Trust. Trust. Kids trust. How many of you have been in a home visiting a family member or a friend and this child comes running out with no clothes on and just runs around the house. <laughs> like they have absolutely no problem doing that. Why? Because they believe in love. I'm not encouraging that behavior. From adults at least. <laughs> not promoting new beaches or anything. But the point is what? The point is, is that a child doesn't question or isn't even suspicious or doesn't even raise the question that I'm not loved. They, it's a given in a child's heart that they're loved. They're created by God. They're so close to God. They might not be able to articulate it like we can. But the child's being, very nature, is closer to who they truly are than any of us. A child is in agreement with their humanity. They don't fight against it. They don't resist it. They don't, they're not at war against dependency. They have no problem depending. Their whole life is about depending on the other. So we, as we get older and older, pick up these lives, these ideas of perfectionism, self-sufficiency, and we begin to develop these patterns and behaviors psychologically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and then we wonder why we're so distressed and stressed out. Because what we learn out in the world is autonomy from God, autonomy from others. You need to be able to pull up your bootstraps and do this on your own. Where there's a will, there's a way. That's a lie. There's some truth to it. You need to have some willpower, yes. But without God's power and grace, we ain't going anywhere. All we think we're going to do is go in circles. If only counsel that I'm seeking is my own, I'm in trouble. I'm in darkness. I'm not in the light. The person in the light is like, remember the Pharisees in the front, the tax collectors in the back? I'm not saying you guys have problems. <laughs> I would actually encourage Catholics to come up closer. <laughs> the point is what? The, the point is, is that the, the tax collector striking his chest couldn't even look up to God. Whereas the Pharisees said, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those people I'm up, up, up in the back there that, that are sinners and prostitutes. Tax. Thank you, Lord, I'm not like those people. And Jesus says, which one went home justified? Which one did God give his, his grace to? The one in the back that was striking their chest because they were in touch with reality. They were aware. They were sober. They weren't intoxicated with self. They weren't
are full of themselves. Okay? So I want you to think about that. The word human comes from the same root as humus, which is what? Earth. And that comes from the same word as humor. Humans can be very humorous. How many of you, that's why you have time to laugh when I say something that's like true, and you know it's kind of funny, but it's not funny that you, are, you, you fall into the same problems that I have. We all got the same struggles in many ways. So, you have to be able to enter into the human comedy at times, if you will. The comedy, if you take yourself so seriously that you can't laugh at yourself, that's pride. See, the humble person doesn't, they're not surprised when they fall on their face. You know, that's why I've often noticed this characteristic when I meet people that are in AA. People that I meet in AA, I always feel comfortable around them in a way that I usually am not always comfortable around others. And it's often because they've accepted their weakness, their brokenness, their frailty. They've talked about it. They've embraced it and actually named it and talked to others about it. And they profess it in front of the whole group. I don't mind, I'm an alcoholic. They'll go say it, right? Because in naming it and claiming it and acknowledging it, there's a freedom in that. There's a way of leaving behind the old self that wants to continue to put on this stained glass masquerade. You ever heard the song from Mercy Me? There's a song called Stained Glass Masquerade, where we all put on our beautiful little faces and we all kind of go through life pretending. We pretend. We, we, we want others to think well of us, which isn't a bad desire, but when it causes me to be dishonest or unrealistic or out of touch with myself. And, and Think of the word humus, human, humorous. Those all come from the same root. The, the humble person, make sure, oh, the humble person has their feet on the ground. The humble person has their feet on the ground. That means what? They're in touch with who they are. They, from Remember you were dust, and to dust you shall turn. My feet are on the ground. I'm not big headed, I'm not floating around above everyone else. I'm with my brothers and sisters. I'm in a community. Being a priest doesn't make me any different than you. I go to confession, you go to confession. God's called me to this vocation, and he's called you to vocations. Okay? So this pride is the beginning of all sin. St. Thomas Aquinas says that. And then we know that pride is the first sin that was committed in the garden. <laughs> and it was committed by not just Adam and Eve, but before Adam and Eve was committed by Lucifer. The word Lucifer means angel of light, meaning one who is a deceiver. Used to be the most beautiful and the most amazing of creatures that God created as uh, the spiritual fathers teach us in tradition and mystics of the church have taught that Lucifer was a beautiful angel that God created. And then obviously the angels couldn't submit themselves, go under the mission of God's plan, which was what was God's plan? What caused Lucifer to fall? His pride. He wouldn't submit to God's plan. He couldn't trust God. He would not allow God to be as humble.
God wants to be. And so what happened? Well, the fathers again, the early fathers of the church, and many mystics teach us they were perhaps through visions or through whatever revelation was given to them in a private manner. This is a public revelation, but we do have particular private revelations given by church fathers and saints of what happened with the angelic fall. And what was said is that God revealed, remember, we're, we on earth are being tested right now. Are we in the beatific vision? Not yet. To get to the beatific vision, you have to first pass the test, which is trusting God. Okay? And so, once you pass the test of trusting God, submitting your life to the Lord, then the day you die, when your soul leaves your body and your body ceases to work, your soul goes before God, and He basically shows you how you trusted Him or not. And when you didn't trust Him, did you ask for mercy or not? Because none of us would be perfect at it. Same thing happened with the angels. Just as Adam and Eve were tested, and now we are being tested, every man in this room is an Adam, every woman in this room is an Eve. We're all being right now tested. Will you trust the Lord in His Word? Will you let the Lord lead you or not? So Lucifer was showing this vision by God of God eventually becoming man. Lowering himself. God lowered himself so low. And the devil, Lucifer, uh, uh, this angel, this beautiful angel God created, could not submit himself to God's humility. God, he was basically saying, why wouldn't you be me? Why wouldn't you become one of us? Why wouldn't you be an angel? Why would you become a lowly human being? And he couldn't accept God's descending, lowering of himself. He couldn't accept it. And so he fell from the heavens. He felt the test. He chose, I will not serve. That's Satan's battle cry. I will not serve. Rebellion. I will not serve. What's that song? I did it my way. Frank Sinatra. Not saying, it's a terrible song. I'm just saying. It's the whole point of I did it my way. Right? I'm doing it my way. I will not serve. I'm not submitting myself to you, God. I'm not lowering myself to you. Okay? So he fell from the heavens. And there's a scripture, Isaiah 14, it says. How have you fallen from the heavens, O morning star, son of the dawn? Then he says, How are you cut down to the ground? You who mowed down the nations, you said in your heart, I will scale the heavens. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Perfect description of pride. So Lucifer epitomizes pride. And I'd like you to think about this. Satan hates himself. He despises himself, precisely why we call it hell. And what do I mean by that? He rejects how he's created. The devil was created not to be... Uh, Lucifer was not created to be a demon. He was created to be a beautiful angel. And because he rejected God, he fell the test, and he was judged and given his just sentence, which is to be leaving out of heaven. If you want to reject God, you can't be in heaven. 
So God, in His great love, creates a place. He doesn't annihilate His creature, Lucifer. God doesn't annihilate what He creates. He just simply has a space that He creates and He calls it hell because He chose to go there. Lucifer chose to be apart from God. Chose to separate himself from God. And he hates himself. Why? Because he is created in his nature to be dependent on God. And he hates being dependent. It, it, it makes him sick that he's dependent. It's like he can't stand being in his own skin. Angels don't have skin, but you know what I'm saying. Can't stand his nature exudes and speaks dependency. Yet he's chosen intellectually in his pride and arrogance to reject how he's created. We can do the same thing. Hell can begin for everyone here now. To the degree I reject my nature as a human person created to be dependent on God, to that degree I'm going to hate myself. And the scary part of this is we can actually get used to self-hatred self and rejection. We can begin to actually accommodate and get used to rejecting ourselves. And this will even at times be manifested in the human body through physical illness or psychological neuroses. It can be brought about through serious anxiety, serious, I'm not saying every form is, but it could be a part of why I'm so anxious because I'm not embracing my call to trust God. And maybe it's because my image of God is twisted and I can't trust God because I have maybe parents that didn't teach me about the loving Father and God that's going to really care for me. So I have these lies of the serpent in my head and when I trust, I get really afraid and I try to wake up with the steering wheel and say, no way, I'm driving, I'm driving. I can't not let, I can't get out of the driver's seat. i got to drive. Because if I don't drive, someone's going to really hurt me. So I'm going to stay in the driver's seat. So we stay white knuckling in the steering wheel. When all of a sudden we're living our lives in fear and terror. And that's plaguing us. Robbing us of healthy night's sleep. Robbing us of, of peace. Robbing us of patience, of joy, of kindness, gentleness, self-control. On and on and on. Okay? So scripture goes on to say, Yet down to the netherworld you will go to the recesses of the pit. Isaiah 14, 15. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 15. Yet, down to the netherworld you will go to the recesses of the pit. So, but in humility we go down again in surrender. But God lifts up on eagles' wings all those who have humility. Like the song, like the song. I will lift you up on eagles' wings. See, when we humble ourselves, He will exalt us. But if we exalt ourselves, you just put a big target over your back and God's going to shoot. Because he hates pride. God hates pride. He despises pride. Pride is C.S. Lewis says pride is cancer to the soul. The, the Lord will attack pride in us. As I said at the first talk, God will go to war against any of these capital sins in us. Most especially God will against the sin of pride, which is very toxic and kills our relationship with God and it kills our human relationships. Kills them. So I want you to think about this. God is calling us deeper. He's calling us to grow. He's calling us to surrender. So, 
If your pride causes you to exalt yourself, again, you're painting a target on your back and you're inviting God to open fire. Not because he's going to attack us, but because he's going to attack the pride. And he wants you to be free so that you can be set free from that pride. So God has declared his determination to bring low whatever he finds is um, trying to resolve himself. He will bring it low. In Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to read this. Listen. Or not, if you have your Bibles. I saw some of you carrying your Bibles. And praise God, right? You actually brought your Bibles. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. You have forgotten the exhortation which reason... You have forgotten the exhortation which reason with you as children of God. Regard not lightly the chastisement of the Lord, nor faint when you are corrected or disciplined by Him. Whom the Lord loves, He chastises. And scourges everyone whom he receives. Now listen to this. All chastisement, just think of your, your kids. All chastisement seems for the present to be not joyous but grievous. Yet afterwards it yields a peaceable fruit unto them that have been exercised thereby, even the fruit of righteousness. What he's saying is, in the beginning when God starts chastising us because of our pride, we whine and we complain, like, God doesn't love me, he's not with me anymore. You know, I don't want you, God, I don't like you, I don't know why you're doing this. You know, and he's, as a loving father, he's very much involved in our lives at that moment. But we don't see that as love. Just like your kids, just like all of us, when we're kids or even now, when someone disciplines us or chastises us, for good reasons, we throw a fit. But the Lord's saying, have you forgotten the exhortation which reasons with you as children of God? Have you forgotten that God loves you so much He's going to discipline you? He's going to chastise you. He's going to bring you to a place of holiness and humility. Okay? And the fruit of that is righteousness, holiness. Okay, it was pride that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven. And Adam and Eve also cast out, as I said. It's the undoing. Pride will undo you and I also if we tolerate it. Okay? So true pride is our greatest enemy. Humility is our greatest friend. Pride is a universal human problem. Everybody in here has a pride. If you don't, talk to me. I'm going to say it in the back after because I want a piece of your hair. Because you're, you're a saint and you're brother. Okay? Bless people with you. So everyone suffers from this from, to some degree or another. God wants, God doesn't want to punish us, okay? I want you to hear that. He, he wants to target the sin. God doesn't target you. He targets the sin in us. Sometimes we have that hard time, right, separating the sin from the sinner. We think because we have a hard time doing it, God must have a hard time doing it. So God's attacking you. Why is God attacking you? He's not attacking you. He's trying to humble you. He's attacking the cancer in you. That's robbing you of true freedom and, and ultimately happiness and holiness of life. So, God doesn't want to punish us, but He rather wants to forgive us and restore us. Okay? And He says again and again in Scripture, as I said, humble yourself and you will be, be exalted. Okay? Look at Mary Magdalene. She humbled herself and she was the first one to be at the tomb on resurrection morning. The 
first one. Talk about being exalted. Not even the apostles were there. Mary Magdalene was there. A prostitute was the first one at the resurrection. Someone that humbled themselves, confessed their heart and sins, and God lifted her up to a very beautiful high place. And now she's talked about all over the world. She wasn't saying, well, I'm going to be the first one at the tomb, so in thousands of years from now, I'm going to be talking about me still in the Bible. <laughs> I doubt that's what she ever thought. And I doubt Mother Teresa or John Paul II or name the same that you have in mind. None of them are like, yeah, my feast day's going to be on this day. They're going to be talking about me St. Gerald's and in America and South America and Africa. They're going to mention my name everywhere. I'm going to be awesome. <laughs> that's not the attitude the saints. They were humble. They just went about their daily business. Everybody in here could be a great saint by just being humble. Just letting God live in you. The incarnation in flesh. Let God live in you. See, this is where prayer begins, guys. This prayer begins with humility. Humility is like the nuclear weapon against the enemy. Because humility is this. God lives in me. And I'm not just saying that because it's what I'm supposed to say. When I say that, I believe it. God lives in me. That means if God's in me, there's no room for the devil. But if, well, God can live in Joe and Susan and Bill because they go to church every day, God can live in these people, but God can never live in me. You know what? That's called false humility. God doesn't live in you because you're sinless. He lives in you because you need His grace to help you to overcome your sins. Eventually, we'll become sinless if we let God be humble and live in us. The greatest joy is to be, you know why people don't like to be alone? Because they think they're alone. They believe they're alone. Are you really alone when you're alone? No, no, no. You're with the indwelling presence of the Trinity. See the tabernacle? Everyone in here is a tabernacle. Why do you think the church puts a tabernacle out? To remind us that we're all living tabernacles. We all house the Trinity within us. What you do unto the least of my brothers and sisters, Jesus says, you do unto me. Now, either he was lying or he was telling the truth. And if he is telling the truth, logic shows that we have God in us. That is humbling, isn't it? But a lot of us in our pride would be like, well, you know, God really can't live in me because I'm still struggling with this or that problem or this or that sin. Listen, believe in the promise Jesus made. He promised to live in us. I'm with you always, he said. Not sometimes. I'm with you only when you don't sin. Is that what he said now? He says, I'm with you always. All the time. I'm with you. And the Lord says in Ezekiel, listen, Ezekiel 33, 11, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God doesn't pleasure in the death of the wicked. He hates seeing his children suffer eternal death, let alone just physical death. He hates death. But the Lord says, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn! Exclamation point. Turn from your evil ways! Exclamation point. Why will you die, people of Israel? 
Why did he die? I said, Jesus looked over at Jerusalem and he says, Father, you could hear his heart just be breaking. How I have longed to gather them as a mother's mother gathers her chicks in her brood. How I longed to gather them, but they won't let me. Imagine having a kid, imagine one of your little kids never letting you hug them. Put yourself in God the Father's shoes right now. Imagine you had a child that was afraid of you and wouldn't let you be close to them. That's how God's heart feels. We're just humans. We don't even have perfect love all the time. God is perfect love. And we won't let him get close to us. Let alone, he don't want to just get close. He wants to come into us and live in us. What do we do at communion? We receive the living body and blood of Jesus Christ. Why did God humble himself under the appearance of bread? In that tabernacle right now, it's not just a symbol of bread. It's the living body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. For over 2,000 years, we've taught this. Nothing new under the sun. But we won't always be humble enough to fall on our faces when we're in front of the Lord because how would God possibly be in a piece of bread? Like, why would God come and live in a piece of bread? Like, I don't understand that. Well, guess what the Bible says about understanding? Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. On your own intelligence, rely not. It doesn't say you have to understand everything before you believe it. No. You believe so as to come to understand. If someone says to me that they love me, anyone here married or anyone has friends here, family, this is common for everyone. If I say to you, I love you, you have to trust my word, believe my word, to experience the love that I have for you. If you keep telling me, first prove it, first prove it, first prove it, we're never going to have a relationship because you don't trust what I said to you. This is my body given up for you. My body is true food, my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. And many of them left him because they said, this is a hard saying. Eat his body, drink his blood. He's just talking symbolically right now. He said it very clearly. And actually, many of them left. And it's John chapter 6, 6, 6, where the apostles left after he spoke the truth about the universe. Read it. Read it. John 6, 6, 6. Many left him, departed from his side after he taught them about the real presence of the universe. Why? Because they were leaning too much on their own understanding. They're leaning too much on their own. We do it too. And so he's in that tabernacle. Why would genuflectively, why don't we genuflectively come into the churches? He's in there for real. At the end of April, we have this amazing Eucharistic miracle presentation that's going to be here. We have a speaker coming who goes around the country and around the... He's going to be in St. Stephen's, St. Gerald's, and St. Joseph's. We have five optional nights. Bring everyone in your family that doesn't believe in the Eucharist. And I guarantee you, after this talk, God will convince their hearts at least that maybe there is something to this church's teaching on the real presence in the Eucharist. Guaranteed. Because there's miracles that display it. There's signs behind it. It shows. But my point is, okay, God's so humble that he enters into an appearance of bread. Why? So that he can come into us. Jesus didn't give us the Eucharist to stay in the tabernacle. 
give us the Eucharist to enter into our bodies, into our minds, into our hearts, into our blood. We become Jesus when we receive Jesus. So pride, again, the father of all sins, summit of self-love. As we, con as we continue to look at this again, pay attention to what you're hearing right now. What is resonating with your heart right now? What's going on in you? As you're hearing what I'm teaching, where's your heart drawn? Where are you gravitating? This is where you should be focusing in. This is where you should be taking a note in your mind, a mental note, of writing it down. Because you're going to take that further into your alone time with the boss, with Christ, with the Lord, with our Lord. You're going to let Jesus take you deeper. So with all these talks, guys, you got to take the time to sit with, be with the Lord so that He can continue to move. Because a teaching is one thing. The Holy Spirit wants to take the seed that you're being, receiving, and, and cultivate so that there can be growth. It's great to plant a seed, but a seed without water and sunlight. Think of, you know, do some sit in front of the sun, right? In front of Jesus. So that you can cause growth to what he's talking to you about right now. Okay? So pride is the root of spiritual laziness. We'll talk about that soon later. But pride can be the root of spiritual laziness. Okay? There could be a sense of complacency. Why do I need to do anything? I'm okay. I'm good. You're not in touch. You have no need to do anything because you're blinded by your pride. You don't see how out of shape you are. So someone that doesn't realize that they're out of shape, there's going to be no needed um, uh, desire to, to work out. Like if someone doesn't notice that their arteries are clogged, they're probably not likely to change their diet. They don't see it. So the Holy Spirit can show us these things to get us out of our spiritual laziness. Okay? Spiritual uh, pride can lead to envy. Obviously, it's kind of like very self-centered, you know, um, I'm better than you, you're better than me. It's like comparing, always comparing yourself with others, right? That's pride. Um, obviously, it can lead to anger, you know, because you don't get your way. You know, we get white out of the steering wheel. I can't believe this, you know. Like, it's like, surprise, surprise, you're a part of the human race. It's like, what are you supposed to That person just hurt you. Why does that surprise you? They're a sinner. I'm a sinner. When a husband gets angry with the wife, or the wife gets angry with the husband because, or friends get angry with each other, and I'm not encouraging, you know, ill behavior, but what I'm saying is, it shouldn't be a big news flash that my spouse can't love me perfectly, or I can't, or she or he can't love her, or him, whatever it be. Because there's only one perfect lover. It's Christ. And if I don't have my eyes on him, I'm going to have my eyes on you. And when you let me down, I'm going to get angry with you. And I'm going to throw a fit and a temper tantrum. And then I'm going to cause more division and dissension. And I'm going to hurt you and then you're going to hurt me back. And the devil's like, no worry, no need to worry about that couple. They're doing it themselves. They're just destroying their own marriage. He just sits back at the cardboard watching you destroy each other. Because our pride blinds us from our need for God. I, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people that 
I can talk to him blue in the face. He thinks that he will get happy if he finds someone to marry. She thinks she'll be happy if she finds someone to marry. Anyone here married want to just prove that? Uh, I mean, again, it's one of those things sometimes you just gotta learn the hard way. Like, don't touch the stove. <laughs> you know? Oh, it doesn't look cool. It's glowing beauty. Look how cool that looks, you know? Psst. Ah. <laughs> oh, Dad. So you start crying after you get burnt. So we start asking for help once we fall on our face or others are letting us down. We feel all like uh, spiraling down. So again, this is pride. See, we don't even identify it as pride. But it's really pride rooting in us, working through us, blinding us from connecting with the only lover, the soul lover, the true lover. If my spouse gives me love, it's God loving me through them. Don't attach love to a person. God's working through them to love me. If I receive love through a sunset, it's not the sunset. I don't fall down and start doing sun salutes and bowing to the sun. I mean, it's a beautiful thing, don't get me wrong, but God's loving me through the sunlight. He's loving me through the birds singing. He's loving me through the little child that gives me a love. He's loving me through my husband or my wife or my kids or my family. It's all God. See, that's humility. It's always focused on God. It's not focused on anyone else. And so I want you to think about that. If you can separate and detach yourselves from clinging to the created world as an idol, you'll be so free because anytime you're loved, you want to talk about a personal relationship with the Lord, anytime your spouse loves you, you receive it as God's love. Anytime a family member, friend, or coach, or teacher, whoever it be, loves you, it's God loving you through them. Isn't that beautiful? Like, I never, people like, I never experienced God, I never experienced God. Like, well, did you ever get a hug from anyone? Yeah. How'd that feel? Good. Well, guess what? God just gave you a hug through Jeff or Jen, whoever it be. See, we're not humble. We want God to like come down with lightning bolts and stand in our presence and then reach out and embrace and hug us. We want it to be something other than God wants it to be. God doesn't want it to come down and do it that way. He wants to do it His way, not our way. God's way is, I want you to be my hands and feet for each other. I want, I want to love through you. Talk about humility. God can steal the show. But he wants us to be a part of his body. He wants us to be his hands and feet. He wants to love through us. He wants to feel through us. He wants to look through my eyes at you. He wants you to look at me through your eyes. He wants to speak love through my words to you. Blessed are those who see, who hear, who can recognize Jesus walking among them. Why did the Pharisees and Sadducees not recognize Jesus? Because they were too proud to let God be who God wanted to be, which is in the flesh. The Spirit, Paul says this. Paul says this. He says, the spirit of the Antichrist, think of the word, Antichrist, anti-God in the flesh is what it's saying. Antichrist is anti-God in the flesh. Now think about this. 
The spirit of the Antichrist, this is how you recognize it. He who denies Christ in the flesh. That's the Antichrist. So how many of us here fellowship with the Antichrist spirit? Because we won't allow God to love us, or we won't receive it as God through our family, through our friends, through our spouses. And when my, my spouse or family or friend or whoever it is isn't loving me, I don't fall apart. I just rationally think with a faith-informed mind, okay, my spouse right now is having a bad day and they're not letting God live in them. So I'll pray for them. I don't freak out. I pray for them. I'm like, okay, I need to help them to receive God so they can give me more of God. But it's not going to help you to receive God and give you God if you're attacking them. What's the Bible say? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. That's the problem with all these crazy news channels today. It's always plotting everyone against everyone else. It's playing right into Satan's cards. They're dead Satan's dealing cards to all these uh, political news stations, and they're just playing right into his hand. They're dividing humanity. It's the work of the Antichrist. We as Christians need to have the brains to see that and wake up to it and not buy into it and continue to propagate the dissension and terrible destruction that the enemies again eat this popcorn watching us destroy ourselves. And we need to wake up to that. As Christians, we should look very different because we have a faith before mind. We're living Ephesians chapter 6. Putting on the armor of God. I go into my workday with the armor of God. And I go into my workday faith informed, aware that Jesus might love me right now through this person or that person. And if he does, I'm going to celebrate and thank the Father. Thank you, Father, for loving me through this person. And thank you for letting me love that person, Father, Jesus, and me loving them. But when they don't love me, I don't start shooting fiery darts, playing right into the enemy's tactic. I pray for them. I pray for their conversion. I pray for their healing. And so what I want you to think about is this teaching that I'm sharing with you right now actually plays right into the churches, the Catholic Church's teaching on the communion of saints. Why do we ask saints to pray for us? Why do we invoke the saints? Well, I would ask you this. If you're a father and mother and your children start helping people, does that disappoint you? You'd be like, how dare you pick up the trash? I was going to do that. <laughs> I'm dad, I'm mom, we'll clean the house, we'll do all the work. You guys, just stay out of the way because you're going to hog all my glory. <laughs> so when God gives us saints, St. Teresa, St. John Paul II, St. Gerald, St. Robert, St. James, on and on and on, all these saints, those are his children. And as a loving father, he's like, I love it when I watch. Watch him. He, Jesus said, Dad, Dad, watch John Paul. Watch John Paul too right now. He's going to go down there and bless someone in Africa. Watch this. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> Just like when your kids help someone and you're like, you know when your kids say thank you on their own for the first time? <laughs> it's like, oh. <laughs> They're getting it. So God the Father is the same way with us. When we the saints start loving each other, Father's like, he's, simple. He's, like a, he's like a proud dad. Mary's like a proud mom. They're like, Jesus, 
said, yes, look, they're getting it. They're finally receiving the Holy Spirit. They're starting to see what I want them to see. They're starting to love each other. They're starting to realize why I came. They're starting to live as the body of Christ. They're starting to fight against evil. Look how that one kept their mouth shut. <laughs> Look how that one spoke up for the unborn and the elder. Look how that one loved the poor, the sick, the homeless, the dying. Look how that one just forgave their spouse or their friend or that person that just grievously hurt them. Look, Dad. Look, Dad. Look what they're doing. This is how God gets excited. And it, doesn't it say there's more rejoicing in heaven over one repentant sinner? That's what he's talking about. They, they throw a party up there. And they can't wait to see you and I. They have a space ready for us. And when we die, they'll be all waiting for us. They'll be welcoming us. Would it be a tragic, how tragic it is to live our lives on this earth in this blah, blah, blah. I'm bored of church. I'm bored. I don't get it. I don't understand. But we all suffer from boredom. That's part of being a human being. But just because you're bored doesn't mean God's bored. We might be bored because we just maybe aren't in touch with certain things in our lives. We're just not aware. Okay? It's okay. But don't let boredom drive you away from God. Go into your heart and start talking. To Lord, I'm bored. Can you help me with this boredom? Okay, so these are just some things I really want you to hear. Okay? Communion of saints. When you ask the saints to help you, it's not taking glory away from God. It's actually giving God glory. Because it's his little kids doing what he created them to do. To love, to serve, to help. And just because they die doesn't mean they can't help us while they're in heaven. Read the book of Revelation. The prayers of the saints rise to heaven. They hear our prayers. They know what's going on on earth. There are actually many. I've heard, there's a mystic. She was here not too long ago. And the lay apostle. I was listening to my recording. I talked really fast. <laughs> I was like, I, maybe I just I gotta slow down. Because I actually on one of the recordings, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slow this down like two times. It actually sounds better. <laughs> the point is, I, that's just up on the other side. I was, um, this, this, this mystic was saying that, you know, that there's teams of saints right now. Like, this is cool. This woman being the lay apostle, she's uh, a founder of this movement called Direction for Our Time. She, she hears the accusations, that's an interior voice, and she's written a number of volumes. And they all have the imprimatur nihilostat, meaning there's nothing obstructing or in the way of the church's teaching in the matter of doctrine and in morals. So it's safe to read. Now the church hasn't put a stamp on it saying, yes, she's really happy. But the church has examined them and approved of them as free to read. No big deal. You don't have to believe them. But I love them. I've read them. So, like, listen to this. She had a vision of heaven. She was taken to heaven. And listen to this. She's in heaven with Jesus. She walks into a room, and there's a table in heaven. And there's a bunch of saints sitting around the table planning a mission for earth. There's saints around tables planning missions come to earth to help different parts of the world and people. They're active. Now listen, when she walked into the room, she noticed that no one looked up to acknowledge Jesus. She said, Lord, why didn't they look up to acknowledge you? You just walked into the room. And you know what he said to Anne? Anne, I never left them. See, we think God leaves us. In heaven, they're so aware of his presence within them, through them. They never feel that once, for the smallest iota, they never feel left alone. 
same is true for us on earth right now. Pride, pride was what keeps us from hearing what I'm saying. In our human emotions, if they're not guided by truth in the intellect, your emotions will lead you in the know. No one's going to know. No one's going to be with you. And we start believing what we feel. I feel, you hear people talk, I feel this, or I feel, you never hear people say much, I think. They'll say, I feel. Because their feelings are governing their life rather than faith-informed intellect. My faith tells me God's with even if I don't feel it. What did Jesus say on the cross? The word from the cross, which deals with pride, is this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Or forsaken me? Exactly what you're saying, forsaken me. Why have you forsaken me? Now, why is that word from the cross striking pride? How's that striking pride? Because Jesus didn't stop communicating with his Father, even in the darkest moments. How many of us, when we're in dark places, stop talking to God? God won the grace for you and I on that cross. It's real right now. It's, it's real time right now. It's live streaming. Just like Facebook Live. We're live streaming. God's, God's streaming right now. And he's saying right now, if you tap that word, if you embrace that scripture, that word, like when you feel in darkness, you pray with your lips the prayer of Jesus. Jesus in your body prays through your body. What? My God, my God, why you You're telling God how you feel. But you're not letting your feelings determine reality. I'm forsaken. Jesus was like, I'm forsaken. This is terrible. He's left me. I'm never going to be. I'm never. He's not here. And he says, he's talking to the Father. This is what I feel, Father. I'm being brutally honest. What do children do well? No filter. Brutally honest. They're always telling you what they feel, what they think. They're just streaming it out. They're in relationship. Jesus stayed in relationship, even on the cross. See, pride is not going to be here for me. He's done. And Jesus says, I'm done with you, God. I'm finished with you. That's pride. Because he's closed the relationship. He's still It's dead. If he would have chosen to do that. But he won for us the grace, the victory of childlike faith when he spoke those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So the Holy Spirit coming into you in dark moments when you're struggling with your pride, God wants to counsel you. He wants to inform you and lead you, guide you, instruct you. And the Holy Spirit moving in us is going to do what? It's going to bring us again onto that cross. Don't resist. The Lord will always lift you onto the cross so that you can die to your pride. And then in dying, you will experience a resurrection to new life in Him. That's why we have this crucifix to remind us that sin was nailed to the cross. Jesus says in the Bible, he became sin. He took on all of our sin and he didn't let it be, he didn't choose to live it out. He took on pride, anger, envy, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth. He took all these sins on and he felt like death, but he didn't choose death. He felt like sin, but he didn't choose sin. He didn't allow sin to govern his behavior. He chose to love when he felt no love. He chose to die 
rather than reject his father? And didn't the devil go after Jesus in that way too? If you are the Son of God, turn these loaves of just these stones into loaves of bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself from the temple and God will protect you. Meaning he's questioning his identity. He's questioning his value and worth in God's eyes. Basically saying, it's a tricky way of saying, you think God will really catch you? You really think he's God? Throw yourself off here. Change that bread and their stones into bread. See, the devil's very clever in trying to lure us into becoming suspicious of the Father. John Paul II. John Paul II said, Original sin attempts to abolish fatherhood. Original sin attempts, attempts to abolish fatherhood. What does that mean? Satan comes in, lies to Adam and Eve about who God is, calls God's fatherhood into question, suspicion. And then Adam and Eve pull away from the relationship because they believe the lies that are told about God the Father. If, if you had a little child, and I, let's say, I don't want to use my own name or anyone here because it's terrible, but let's say you had your children here and there was some stranger that walks in the church and tells your kids as five, six-year-olds or three-year-olds, you know, your parents don't love you anymore. They're actually tired of you. They want you to stay here. They don't want you anymore. If that little kid believes anything that stranger says, that little kid's relationship is going to drastically change with mom and dad. That's what Satan did to Adam and Eve. He told them a lie about God the Father. They believed it. And then they, because of who they believed God was, they separated themselves from God because God became now an abusive father. He's withholding something from us. He doesn't really want happiness. God, why would God withhold anything from you? He loves you. He wouldn't hold that. He just wants to keep you in his little cage. You see, the enemy, he's trying to lie to us a lot, okay? So I talked a little bit about this pride of intellect. I want to nail a few of these other um, particular types of, of, of pride. So pride of intellect is obviously going to attack faith a lot. Because if you're so much in your head, faith resides in the soul and the heart. If you're so much, if you have to understand everything, you probably don't need faith, nor will you ever use faith. So if you're struggling with faith, it's probably because you need to renounce the spirit of pride in the intellect. You're too intellectual. You're too heady. You're not enough heart. Again, Pharisees, Sadducees, too much in the head. Why? How, how could this be? Like, how, how could God become appear in the form of bread and wine? Or how could He be? God could have become man. How dare you say that's blasphemy? How could you say God's a man? That's blasphemy. Let's put him to death. See, God's too humble, and my pride keeps me from letting Him see that. Okay. Okay, so, again, I talked about a little bit about presumption. Presumption meaning what? Like, you know, it's the whole idea of pride of intellect involves some presumption, which is presuming God. Like, um, never presume God, meaning you got to trust God and let God lead you. You follow God, you don't presume God. Oh, God's going to love me. God's going to help me. I can do whatever I want. So you're presuming mercy. Oh, I can, I can, I can. There was my boyfriend and girlfriend, and God loves us all. See, that's presumption. Oh, God will forgive you. Yeah, but you see how the clever the enemy is? Like, God, you hear this talked about a lot. God is love. God is love. Love equals love. That means, does that say we can do what we want? No. 
Does that mean I can behave how I want now? So Satan uses presumption a lot of times. God is mercy. He talks all about mercy and love, but he never talks about judgment, truth. See, if I make up my own rules, I don't need a Savior because I'm my own God. So presumption in many ways is a subtle way of leading me into being my own moral dictator. I decide what's right for me and what's wrong for me. Because God is love, God is mercy. I can do that. It's a very subtle way of being lured into that deception. Um, pride of superiority or, or authority. This has to do with the rigidness and an unbending when others assert their authority. When you're like unbending or very rigid, um, you're controlling the lives of others. You're very stubborn and rebellious. You don't work with other people well. There's probably a lot of pride of authority there, pride of superiority. It's kind of like when someone says something to you, it's kind of like in your heart, you might not say this out loud, but do you know who I am? It's kind of that non-verbal expression. I don't believe the person who said it, but I know who I am. It's kind of like, well, newsflash, right? <laughs> said, do you know who he is? That's the question, right? So pride of superiority, I got it, you know, I'm good, you know, we get angry at others, we hold others in contempt a lot, Contra very contradictory again, refusing any advice or assistance, that's all pride of authority, of, of superiority. You're very bossy, argumentative, and conceited, critical attitude, overbearing, and at times arrogant, and these are just qualities of this type of pride. Um, God told Jeremiah in chapter 35, 13, he says, Will you not take correction and obey my word? So God told Jeremiah, Will you not take correction and obey my word? Meaning, will you let me correct you? I love you. Will you let me discipline you, chastise you, bring you into holiness? I want you to get to heaven because you've got to cooperate with me here. Okay? Okay, so pride of ambition is another one. Just briefly, pride of ambition. This kind of pride of seek positions, um, honor, recognition, praise for ourselves. The first one to get up and grab the food, pride of ambition, like the first one in line, you know. Um, it's the um, asserting ourselves and places itself before others. And Jesus talks about this kind of pride. You remember it? He says, when you're seated at a banquet, take the last place. That's what he's, he's coming against, the pride of ambition. Um, and we need a healthy, good self-image. I'm not saying we should, that's not what God's talking about. Okay? We need a healthy self-image. But pride of ambition is an excessiveness where it's basically trying to always get ahead of other people, trying to always look, um, you know, overly confident in yourself, very independent. Um, it's someone who's not doing all for the greater honor of God. Okay? Pride of sensitivity. This is a good one. Those are, these are good ones. Pride of sensitivity is someone who's super sensitive. Walking on eggshells. We better all kind of keep it down because if, we're, if we really speak too much about this, then this person's going to explode. Because <laughs> you know why? That person's so... They can't handle correction. They're so full of... of, of Pride of sensitivity. They're overly sensitive. They overreact when they're corrected. They harbor grudges easy. They're very suspicious. And it can be very a subtle hostility toward other people, very hidden hostility at times. They're easily wounded and hurt. Their whole world falls apart when someone looks at them funny. We 
backwards and degrees, okay? So don't ever look cross-eyed at this type of person, or actually, you probably should look cross-eyed at them so they can heal from their problems. <laughs> so, this is why they, you know, another one of these pride of sensitivity things is everybody gets a trophy. I can't stand that. Let's give everyone a trophy today. Let's give both teams trophies. Get over yourself. You lost. You lost. It's good to learn how to lose. Pride often is cultivated in a society that wants to be nice to everyone. Nice is not what Jesus wasn't a nice. He was a truthful man who loved with compassion. And he spoke love with truth with love. But when you lose, you lose. And if you can't handle losing, it's not medicating that with a trophy is not a good idea. Kids need to learn healthy ways to lose. Because when you're weak, you're strong. That's why when people say, my favorite team lost the Super Bowl, I'm like, maybe God wanted them to lose. They don't like that, maybe. But people are like, oh, you're spiritualizing them. <laughs> I'm like, no, God, they lost. Maybe their heads are too big. And God's like, I need you guys. This team, you're the better team, but you actually need to learn something. No. Okay, so pride is sensitivity. This person might spread a lot of bitterness, um, negativity. It's like a pall. You know the pall you put over a casket? Pride of sensitivity is like putting a pall over a family or a community. It's kind of like a death sentence. So it's like no one can talk about anything because everyone's afraid of how this person's going to react to that person's going to react. This really, tell me this does not talk about what our current world is about right now. I mean, this is like America, like to the T almost, sad. You know, when we talk about, you can't talk about God in the schools, you can't talk about, you know, same-sex marriage without someone attacking you, or you can't talk about, you know, abortion or euthanasia. It's like, love equals love, how could you say that? And I'm not making fun of those people in any way, but I'm just saying, we need to be able to talk about things without being condemned. On both sides of the aisle, okay? It's not just one side, it's both. And there needs to be communication, it's healthy, okay? Okay. Um... Pride of sensitivity will be very unforgiving because it has a sense of satisfaction and not speaking to others. Passive aggressive attitude. Someone who's very pride of sensitivity, very passive aggressive. They'll give you the cold shoulder because it's their hidden way of being hostile to you. And they actually get some sort of sadistic joy out of giving you the cold shoulder. And we all fall into this in different categories. Okay? At least I do. I don't know if you guys do. <laughs> We refuse to speak um, to those who've hurt us. We become cold. Self-pity is a big one with this, right? Self-pity. We pity ourselves a lot. Um, um, let's see here. This person will often begin. This kind of pride feels unloved and unwanted. And even if you are loved and, un and, and, and loved and wanted, the pride of sensitivity, you start to, you believe more your own thoughts than the truth. Like, you misinterpret people a lot. Like, people don't. People love you. And so, like, yeah, I'm not saying perfect, but I'm saying people love you. And when you get overly this idea that I'm so unwanted, I'm so unloved, that's pride of sensitivity again, okay? You start imagining wrongs. So that happens in a marriage a lot. One imagines this one's thinking this and that one's thinking that. Before you know it, there are two different frequencies because they never talked about it. Okay? You've got to bring it into the light. Don't let the enemy feed the, feed the destruction. Okay, pride of timidity. It's kind of the same as pride of sensitivity, sort of. Um, 
We can compromise um, ourselves with this one. We fear other people's opinions of life. These two kind of go somewhat together. Kind of like kissing cousins, if you will. <laughs> pride of sensitivity, some, or pride of timidity, no backbone. You never stand up for anything. You just always let the crowd decide what you should be doing or not. So you really live your life based on how other people want you to live your life. You're not yourself. You don't have the courage or strength to be who God wants you to be. You, you need to have resolution and you need to stand up for what's right. And this is a good example. This is parents who want to be friends with their kids and not parents. When you start to be friends with your kids, like, I don't want to correct my kids anymore because they're going to get upset. Then you become friends with them and that's not being a parent, right? And it's the same with the priest. If the priest never talks about hell and never talks about anything, contraception or these hot topics where people get all bent out of shape, the priest is living kind of sense timidity. He's not being honest with his people. Okay? I mean, telling people, a good, pe good friends tell people what they don't want to hear. If you really love someone, right? Okay, so that person builds their house on shifty sand. There's no solid rock on their lifestyle. I'm in their lives, say. They fear to step out, okay? Okay, so pride is scrupulosity. If anyone here struggles with scrupulosity, there's pride in that, okay? There can be some pride in that. And that's attention to wrong things. So I'm overly focused on this struggle that I'm having. When God's saying, that's not what I want you to look at. I want you to look at this. Your pride won't let me forgive you. You're too focused on your sin, and you need to focus on me. You need to let me be a savior for you. Newsflash, you aren't perfect. That sin you're struggling with, it, it leads me to lead you deeper into a dependency on my mercy. Not as a curse, your whole value and worth. God doesn't, that would be like a, a parent focusing on a baby's dirty diaper, not the child. Like imagine focusing, you know, like if you're struggling with scruples, you tend to focus on the crap all the time. <laughs> you never focus on your goodness. You never focus on the good that you are. You're good. God created us good. He is good. Therefore, I am good. Yeah, I have my crap and my stuff in my life that I mess up, but that's not my focus in life. Pride of, pride of scrupulosity focuses too much on the, the bad stuff, not on what God wants me to focus on. Okay? And he says, Oh, you Pharisees, Jesus says, although you clean on the outside, the dish inside you are filled with plunder and evil. What he's saying is, you guys need to go inside. We need to look at the heart. We need to go deeper. Don't just put on a show. Okay? Pride of complacency or vanity. Again, these are obviously somewhat connected, but very self-centered, um, touchy, easy, offended, again, complacent. This person is a perfectionist. Anyone here got perfectionism? We all struggle with some probably. If you're a perfectionist, you probably have pride of complacency. Think about, this is kind of tricky, but here it is. Complacency comes in because I'm okay. I don't have anything to change. I'm good. So pride of complacency is someone who, I'm okay, you know, I'm, I'm doing these things, I'm going to church every day, I'm praying, I'm, I'm good, I'm this and I'm that. I go to Mass every day, you know. Look at all these people, they hardly go at all. I'm doing pretty good, you know. 
Like I pray five, say I pray five hours every day. These people don't pray on me. I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm great, man. I'm, I'm going. I started to become complacent. Okay. Okay. So this person. Okay. Again, be critical of others and very boastful about their spiritual life and what I'm doing. Overly talkative. I better watch that one, right? <laughs> Overly talkative to the point where we just cannot stop. <laughs> no one else gets a word in. <laughs> Have you ever been on an airplane and, um, you know, your people will just talk you off on the plane and then they'll get up at the end of the flight and they'll say like, oh, it was great talking to you. And the humorous thing is, is you never said that. Right? Gosh, it's really good nice talking to you. It's like, yeah, great. Great. But that's that pride of complacency. It's like, it's, it's just, again, talking about ourselves a lot and doing. Again, it can be legalistic a little bit too. Um, um, and, and again, back to the heart of this is becoming childlike. God wants us to be childlike. And my mom was actually sharing something with me today about Mother Angelica. She says, humility with a hook. Did you ever hear that? <laughs> humility with a hook. Mother Angelica used to use this phrase. It's when someone's like, um, um, I didn't really do that good of a job, did I? I wasn't, it wasn't that bad, you know. Like, and you, were, you did a great job. I was like, ah, wasn't too bad. I could have did a lot better. So you, you're, 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 it's false humility. It's like, you want him to keep telling you. It's humility with the hook. It's like, you know, how was, how was, how was that stage? Like, well, you know, I could have cooked it better. I didn't do too bad. I mean, oh, that was great food. Yeah, no, if I would have cooked it on the grill, it would have been a lot better. <laughs> humility with the hook. It's like hooking people into like, keep feeding me. Yes, feeding me more. Right? Spiritual pride, right? It's pride, okay? See how subtle it is? We, we, we all fall into these different ways, okay? Okay, so, um, in the spiritual life here, I'm going to close up in a second. So I don't fall into pride and complacency. <laughs> okay, so, in the spiritual life, there's a lot of focus, again, on our devotions. Um, and, and what I want to hit real briefly on this is, um, in our prayer, um, our prayer life, see, pride, spiritual pride, if you have a spiritual director or someone that helps you, you kind of can hide things or not tell them, you only tell them what they want to hear, and you can do that with others too, you don't really tell them about what you're struggling with, you just keep it at a very shallow level, you don't really go deeper in that relationship that you need to be. Um, the, lion, the, saints ter- the saints were afraid of pride. They were terrified of pride. Um, and, you know, we can all, again, struggle with this uh, whole, whole, whole thing with um, just being submissive to God um, and taking too much credit. And I'd like you to think of David and Goliath, just to close. David and Goliath. David had... To wind up his arm and throw the rock. But he wasn't counting on himself, obviously. David didn't go to Goliath to defeat him. Pride's like a Goliath in all of our lives. And we need to count on what? God's power, God's aim, God's rock, who is Jesus, 
And God does it all for the humble of heart. And we will win. The only thing that's going to keep you and I from heaven is pride. Because all the other capital sins are, are basically, this is the father of all of the capital sins of the seven heads of the dragon. Pride is the, the capital sin. It's basically saying himself. And this is why Mary, the blessed mother, is so important in our spiritual life. She crushes the head of the serpent. Mary is a symbol of the church. We're all called to be like Mary. And where did Mary say at the wedding of Canaan? Do whatever he tells you. That's the antithesis of pride. Not whatever you think or whatever you feel. Do whatever he tells you. And so, um, again, I could talk on another five hours on this forever. It's, it's great stuff. This stuff's great. Um, there's a lot of powerful stuff here. And just one other quick point on prayer. In, our, in your prayer lives, pride can show up in not wanting to go through the purification that is required of a soul to graduate to heaven. To graduate to heaven, you have to be purified of self. And if I'm not aware of my need for that, I would say this, a good litmus test. Sit in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel and watch how uncomfortable you get. Because you don't know how to depend on God. You're so used to depending on yourself. And I do it, you do it, we all do it. A litmus test on where you are is how well you receive love. How well you receive God. Because God is love. Pride has a hard time sitting still because it doesn't believe love will provide. The Father wants to provide love when you're in an adoration chapter for your son. And this is why a lot of us avoid prayer. And this is why a lot of us don't advance into the higher stages of prayer. Because we focus too much on feelings in prayer. When we feel dry in the desert, like we're chewing sand, and we're in the prayer time, and there's nothing going on, nothing in the oven, it's like, nothing's here, I feel like the That's the most important times in your prayer life. Because if you're, you're staying there and remaining in Him in that moment, is you're sharing with Him on the cross. And in that moment, your prayer life is going to begin to grow. Mystical union begins to happen more deeply in your prayer life. So, John of the Cross, Jesus of Avila, all these great mystics on prayer, they wrote much about, you know, the seven mansions, Teresa of Avila. Um, John of the Cross wrote about the dark night of the senses, the dark night of the spirit. That's when you don't feel. Mother Teresa, if you ever watched the movie The Letters, some of you might have watched the movie The Letters, she went through tremendous dryness and darkness in her prayer, and you would have never known. But that prayer fed her to do all that she did, even though she felt very little. So there's something going on deeper than just emotion. But see, we live in a culture that glorifies feelings and emotions, which are good, but need to be put in their proper context in the, the person. They're not the end all be all of what I should or shouldn't do. I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. Well, does that mean we should? Or the other end is, is yeah, but we're in love. We're in love. It's like, well, if you're in love, you wouldn't lead that other person to hell by sleeping with them or living with them when we shouldn't be. That's love. And there's a way to say that, and there's a way to not say it. But I just think we need to understand that you know, love leads others to heaven. And i got to start with my own heart and mind. And God wants to lead us to heaven. But that takes what? Remember? Humility, obedience, 
life will go to heaven. Pray for humility, for obedience, and more life, and you'll go to heaven, because heaven is life, life is heaven. So let's say it. For the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we praise and thank you for this day. We ask your spirit to fill us. Thank you for this night. We just praise you and ask you to open our hearts, teach us, lead us, guide us. And Lord, just show us the way to heaven. Help us to be humble like Mary, the angels and saints. Help us to not be afraid of what you've shown us tonight, but to, to, to rejoice when we see our sins, because then we can ask for forgiveness and grace. And we pray, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. See you next week.